This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome. It's a Wednesday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio, the 15th day of March 2023. Appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. I I apologize that uh, I was not here yesterday. Uh, this was just a case of uh, the old man working it too hard and I, uh, I've been working for the last uh, week, week and a half or so on a new chicken coop. <laughs> so I'm building the Taj Mahal of chicken coops um, uh, down here. We bought this prefab one. It's just a piece of crap. So building our own, and I overdid it. I was outside working for about uh, eight or nine hours, and I was just exhausted. And I said, I said to my wife, well, I always wake up before the alarm. And, you know, she didn't have to get up early. So I said, I won't set the alarm, and, and uh, but I'll still be up. Not a problem. Well, I did not. I woke up. I would have had a half an hour to get ready for the show. That wasn't going to work. So uh, we ended up taking yesterday off. But we're here this morning and uh, we've got a lot to get to. The NCAA tournament actually began last night uh, with the first four games uh, is what they're called. And uh, a couple of good ones. Uh, uh, Pittsburgh beat Mississippi State last night. 60 to 59, uh, Jamarius Burton with a go-ahead jumper with 10 seconds left. Mississippi State actually had a chance to win this game. This was really cool. Uh, uh, Shaquille Moore had a wide-open three-pointer from the corner with about two seconds left, missed it, and then uh, a tipping attempt by DG, uh, DJ Jeffries just missed, went off the rim, fell off, and Pitt survives to beat Mississippi State. Uh, by a final of 60-59. to 59. Great game, 21 lead changes. They said it was the most in the NCAA tournament in the last five years. So that was uh, that was a heck of a way uh, to start the NCAA tournament, and everybody's just hoping to heck uh, that's what uh, we're going to see from then on out. But uh, Pittsburgh now uh, will face number six Iowa State on Friday. That game will be in Greensboro, North Carolina. In the other first four game yesterday, another good one, Texas A&M Corpus Christi earned its first ever NCAA tournament win, beating Southeast Missouri State 75-71. to uh, Isaac Mushilla with 15 points and 12 rebounds to lead the Islanders. They are 24-10. and They were the winners of the Southland Conference. Uh, their award for winning this game, they get to play Alabama. <laughs> Number one Alabama. Good luck. Uh, but good for them. Hey, I'll tell you what, I worked at a couple of mid-major schools in my time at Central Connecticut State University, Sacred Heart University, and it was one of those things. You didn't really care who you played, what round it was in. Getting an NCAA tournament victory uh, is huge. So there's a lot of schools, even though they got to go play number one Alabama, 
there's a lot of schools that would love to be in Texas A&M Corpus Christi's shoes uh, this morning. The NIT also got underway last night, and we had an upset. The number one seed uh, in the NIT, Rutgers, gets beat. They go down to Hofstra 88-86 in overtime. I watched part of this game, and Rutgers had a pretty good uh, handle on it, it seemed, and then they went, like, in the tank. Hofstra went on a 12-3 run, took a lead. Rutgers fought back. A heck of a game. A heck of a game, but Rutgers, with the upset, they are now 25-9, and and they will play the winner of today's game between Cincinnati and Virginia Tech. And... One of the big conversations we have every time of the year this year is should we have a bigger NCAA tournament? Of course, it was always 64 teams. They expanded it to 68. Um, and uh, it seemed like, and that was back in 2011 when they did that. Um, but the original idea was to have 96 teams in the NCAA tournament. Uh, but they decided that it was just too much of a mess, and they decided not to do it. Uh, but there's another committee meeting to look at expanding it again. And last night's game between Hofstra and Rutgers is a good example. Now, I understand it was an NIT game, but here's the deal. Rutgers plays in the Big Ten. All right, The Big Ten gets multiple entries into the NCAA tournament every year. Rutgers finished 10 and 10 in that lead league. Rutgers had some wins over NCAA tournament teams this year. And here's Hofstra out of the Patriot League, a mid-major conference that is only ever going to get one bid into the tournament and that's going to be the winner of the conference tournament. They are the only team that's going to get in from that conference ever. And yet here we have Hofstra from that small conference beating a team from the Big Ten last night in overtime. <clears throat> it's where you make the case all the time where these mid-major schools get screwed. Dick Vitale, of all people, the you know the legendary color man on ESPN, went on a little bit of a rant after the, uh, after the NCAA tournament was announced and said, look, you know, how do you tell all these kids that play in these mid-major schools that – you know, and they have a lot of talent that rack up 23, 24, 25 wins and can't get in the NCAA tournament because the sixth place team from the SEC or the Big Ten or the Big East or whatever is going to get in the tournament. And yet these teams that have had some incredible success all season get shut out. And it's a fair comment. You know, now I'm not I'm not one of these people. I don't like generally playoff fields that are too big. Like for instance, I don't like the way the NHL does it. I don't like the way the NBA does it where, you know, half the teams or, you know, or or sometimes over half the teams get into the playoffs. I think that's way too much. I was against it when Major League Baseball expanded, you know, and added the wild card. And then added a second wild card. I was against it. Although they still, even with that, still have a fewer, a lower percentage of teams making the playoffs than the NHL or the NBA do. If they expand the NCAA tournament to 96 teams, 
that's a, a, about 25% of the teams that play Division One college basketball. I think that's fair. You know, the problem is, is there's 32 Division One conferences, okay, right now. So 32 Division One conferences, the winner of each one of those conferences gets an automatic bid into the NCAA tournament. And then there are 36 at-large bids. And those are always given to the, the, the best conferences, the strongest conferences, the ACC, the Big East, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the Pac-12, and the SEC. Of those 36 at-large bids this year, 31 of those 36 went to those conferences I just named. So the concern is, is even if they expand this, that the tournament committee will just decide, oh, well, the eighth-place team from the Big East is still better than the second-place team from this mid-major conference, so we're going to give another bid to the Big East or the Big 12 or whatever. You know, and I so I think if they do decide to expand this, I think there has to be some kind of recognition for these mid-major conferences. And maybe the mid-major conferences then would automatically their second place team would get in as well. You know, they've got to do something. They can't, you know, you can't continue to have the haves and haves nots. It's not fair. And when you have a team like Hofstra beating a team from the Big Ten, like Rutgers last night, again, I know it was the NIT, but we see this all the time in the NCAA tournament, right, where you see teams that are 11 seeds. Suddenly, next thing you know, they're in the, the Elite Eight, and you're going, whoa, how the hell did that happen? You know, and every now and then, a lower seed, you know, makes, makes a run. Why can't that be a mid-major team? Why not? Why can't we have more teams? Remember, like, remember what St. Peter's did? In the NCAA tournament, and every day were the darlings of the world. Why can't a team from a mid-major conference? Why can't a Hofstra? Why can't a Sacred Heart University? Why can't uh, a Fairfield or a Fairleigh Dickinson or a Monmouth? Why can't a team like that make a run? Why not? You know, but you just look at at a team like this year, like uh, for instance. Uh, Montana State, 25 and 9. Right? Um, they get into the NCAA tournament, but they were in danger of not getting in because the, in their conference championship game in the Big Sky, right, they played a team that made it to the conference championship game that went on a run, Northern Arizona University. That was 12 and 23. Taken on 25 and 9 Montana State for the Big Sky Championship. If if Northern Arizona had won that game, Montana State, who had 25 wins this season, would not have made it to the NCAA tournament. They would have ended up in the NIT. And that's just not fair. It's not fair. So we'll see. But, you know, and, and this committee that's meeting to expand the tournament is not just looking at basketball. They have actually uh, come up with a recommendation that all the tournaments get expanded. And the number, the magic number that they're using is 25%. You know, so that would mean that the soccer tournament expands, the baseball, the softball, they all expand. 
mean, you know, uh, I'm not even going to get into major college football. They're expanding, you know, the playoffs there. But major college football is another kettle of fish altogether. Right? But I think it's I think it's about time. I think it's about time that the the huge schools get some of that uh, swagger taken away. They a team that finishes in sixth place or seventh place or eighth place in their conference should not be allowed into a tournament like that. Unless you are going to allow teams from smaller conferences that had much better records and had more success. And I get it. It's, you know, you could say, well, it's apples and oranges. They're not playing the same level of competition. I get all that. But part of the, 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 the beauty of college athletics is to allow, uh, you know, a team, you know, like Sacred Heart University when I was there, you know, going to play Notre Dame, right? Or, you know, you go to play UConn. You know, hell, I remember. I, I, I've, I'll never forget this. I mean, I we were playing UConn one year in men's basketball, and Sacred Heart University was leading at the half, right? Had I think we had a five point lead at halftime over UConn. Jim Calhoun's UConn Huskies. Now I was hoping the heavens would open up and they'd end the game right then. Ended up losing the game. I think we ended up losing it by like fifteen. UConn, you know, again, but. It just goes to show that, you know, there is a chance. Lightning can happen. You know, lightning can strike. Why not? You know, we've seen it in college football. Remember when Appalachian State in college football beat Michigan one year? Oh, my God, you thought the world was going to end. So I'm I'm for expanding the tournament to 96. I mean, there's there's some people that want to go a little bit crazy. Uh, Scott Drew, who's a coach at Baylor, thinks it should be 128 teams, which basically adds another – a uh, whole round of the tournament, and that would mean that a third of the NCAA Division One basketball teams is 358 of them. By the way, I'm, I don't think I want to go that far, but I think 96 is a good number. I'd like to see it. The only, you know, then the question becomes: Well, what happens to the TV deal? Because that current TV contract with CBS and uh, Warner Brothers uh, runs through 2032, so that's another nine years from now. Uh, and if and if that happens, if they expand the tournament, there's going to be more games. Well, you know CBS and uh, Warner Brothers are going to be like, oh, you know, they wouldn't have the they would not have uh, the obligation necessarily to do these games. And the NCAA can't because they have the rights to those games. The NCAA can't seek another partner for the new games. And the networks, if they do decide to do them, they're under no obligation because they have a valid contract to pay more for those extra games. So this may happen, but we may find it doesn't happen until the current TV deal expires in 2032 because God knows, we all know, it's about money. And, hey, it's about money to these NCAA schools as well. Understand something. These teams that get into the NCAA tournament, they make money. Every, uh, <coughs> excuse me, for every round of the tournament that a team is in, that conference gets what's called a unit. A unit this year in the NCAA tournament is worth $2 million. 
So if the Big East has six teams in the NCAA tournament, for the first round, they get one unit. That's $12 million for the first round. So, you know, uh, to, to go even farther, the SEC, the Big Ten, they each have eight teams in the tournament this year. That's $16 million for one round. Then they make, let's say they all advance and go to another round. There's another $16 million. Now the conference has $32 million. You know, it. there is a lot of money out there. A lot of it comes from the dues that schools pay, but a lot of it also comes from that $8.8 billion TV deal that the NCAA has with CBS and Warner Brothers. So I'm all for it. I, I hope it happens, uh, you know, but uh, – Again, money talks, and I don't know how the the current TV deal might affect that. Uh, The other thing that's going to expand, by the way, uh, (laughs) FIFA has announced that the World Cup format for 2026, which is going to be held in North America, that's also going to change. The, The World Cup now, folks, is probably going to last six weeks. Somebody kill me, please. They're expanding it to 48 teams, uh, and now they're going to have, um, uh, they're going to change the way the pools are. Instead of 12 groups uh, of, uh, I mean, of 16 groups of three teams, they're now going to uh, have 12 groups of four teams. It means every team is going to have to play another game. So to win the World Cup, you got to play eight games, which is, uh, and it's been seven since 1974. The top two teams from each group are going to advance along with eight third place teams. So it just means that this thing is going to go on forever somebody kill me uh i watched the bruins game last night and man what a disappointment that was the bruins um look there's still plenty of time in the season and there is no time to panic Uh, there's no reason to panic the bruins have 105 points nine points clear of the carolina hurricanes in the eastern conference but for the first time this season the bruins have lost back-to-back games in regulation and they have looked bad doing it they didn't look good against the Detroit Red Wings on Sunday, and they looked even worse yesterday against the Chicago Blackhawks. The Chicago Blackhawks, ladies and gentlemen, are terrible. The Chicago Blackhawks have 52 points. The Bruins have 105 points over twice what the Blackhawks have, and they got beat by the Blackhawks last night 6-3. Just gross. Third straight game that they've allowed the other team to score first. Uh, the power play continues to be pathetic. Um, you know, and, and look, we don't need to, again, we don't need to push the panic button. They're going to be fine, but this is where you look at this and we've talked all along with, you know, the Bruins are having a great year, having a great year. They're the power of the NHL. Well, it doesn't mean anything if you don't win the Stanley cup, if you don't advance deep into the Stanley cup playoffs and the way the Bruins look right now, I'm not going to say they're going to be a, you know, out in the first round kind of team because I don't think that's the case. But, boy, I tell you what, if they don't fix things in a hurry, you know, you look at it and you say, I don't know how deep this team can go. They've played 66 games, so there's 16 games left in the regular season. There's plenty of time for them to fix it. You know that you knew they weren't going to run through the entire year uh, with a single-digit losses. But the way that they've done it the last couple of games and, and as bad as they've looked is concerning to me. Uh, they have to play again tonight. 
They have to play Winnipeg. And they got to look, you know, this road trip is big. And uh, this Winnipeg team that they're going into play is currently in playoff position in the Western Conference. Four points. They have the second wild card. They're four points ahead of the Nashville Predators for that second wild card position in the Western Conference. And the Bruins cannot afford to lay an egg again tonight. Um, I mentioned those uh, uh, Nashville Predators, and the Predators won last night. They beat the Detroit Red Wings 2-1. to one. Look, the, right now Nashville has three games in hand with Winnipeg. Winnipeg's got that last playoff spot right now, but Nashville has played three fewer games. So Nashville is in the driver's seat for that last wild card game, and Nashville's hot right now. Um, they just came off a 4-1-1 road trip, and then they come home last night. Uh, and they win again by beating the Red Wings. That was a big one. Uh, I also mentioned the uh, 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 the Carolina Hurricanes. The Hurricanes win last night, and the Hurricanes uh, have lost their you know their top scorer for the rest of the season with knee surgery. But they found a way last night. They beat those Winnipeg Jets five to three. The Tampa Bay Lightning with a win last night. They beat the New Jersey Devils four to one. You know the Lightning. Uh, well back of the Bruins, but still right now uh, battling it out for playoff position. 86 points. They are tied with the New York Rangers uh, in the Eastern Conference with those 86 points. Uh, the Rangers last night with a win, they beat the Washington Capitals uh, by a final of 5-3. to three. It is 28 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk some baseball, the World Baseball Classic going on. Uh, matter of fact, there's a game uh, in progress right now between Australia and Cuba. The winner of that one will advance to uh, the semifinals in Miami. We'll check on that in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 29 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Wednesday morning. So the World Baseball Classic continues to roll along uh, the uh the uh, pools that are on this side of the world a little bit behind the ones that took place in Japan and Chinese Taipei. Uh, over in Chinese Taipei right now, Cuba leads Australia 4-3. to three. They're in the top of the ninth, two out. So Cuba is one out away from advancing to the final four. Uh, they would uh, play the semifinal game for Cuba and Australia. Whoever wins that one will take on the winner of the Venezuela game uh, against the Pool C runner-up, which is the pool that the United States is in uh, right now. And uh, so Cuba, uh, Australia's had a heck of a tournament, but Cuba has struggled a bit, but they actually have a couple of major league players on their roster for the first time. Uh, of course, you know, we know the dip- diplomatic problems between the two countries and the fact that a lot of the Cuban players playing in the United States all defected from Cuba. Uh, so they haven't had a lot of Major League Baseball players on their uh, team in the WBC. Uh, but Yoan Moncada is one of the players that's playing for Team Cuba. And as I said, Cuba right now with a 4-3 lead, uh, two outs in the top of the ninth. Uh, yesterday, Venezuela beat Nicaragua 4-1. to Venezuela has surprised a lot of people. They are now undefeated in group play. They are 3-0. and uh, Eugenio Suarez and Anthony Santander, a couple of Major Leaguers, uh, had two hits apiece, and uh, Venezuela has clinched Group D, and uh, Dominican Republic looks like they are going to be the other team who's going to clinch. The Dominican Republic uh, mercyed Israel yesterday, beating 10 nothing. Manny Machado with a homer, a single, drove in three runs, and uh, the Dominican Republic is now 
two to one or two and one in uh, pool play in that one. Canada yesterday kind of set themselves up. They control their own destiny in Group C. Uh, right now, Canada yesterday beat Colombia five nothing. Colombia falls to one and two, and Canada will play Mexico, and the winner of that one will get into the uh, 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 will advance into the uh, quarterfinals. Uh, the United States has one game left. They have to play Colombia today. If they beat Colombia, the United States will win the pool and then we'll advance uh, into the quarterfinals, or excuse me, into the semifinals, uh, where the United States would play the winner of Pool D. Uh, and right now that looks like it's going to be Venezuela. Uh, Venezuela 3-0 and and, or the Dominican Republic. One of those two teams will advance. Uh, and then it looks like Puerto Rico uh, is in big trouble. Uh, Puerto Rico is not going to advance out of this tournament. So Kike Hernandez will be heading back to the Boston Red Sox camp very soon, and I know they can't wait for that. Um, interesting comments from Max Scherzer yesterday, and I, I can't disagree with him. Max Scherzer, of course, the pitcher for the New York Mets, made the case that if they moved the WBC to the summer, took it out of spring training, and moved it to the summer, kind of like the Olympics always happen in the middle of, of the NHL season, you would find that more pitchers would be able to play for their teams or would be more willing to play for their country's teams than there are right now. And you'd also have probably better baseball because you would have batters that are locked in. They've been playing all season. You know, a lot of a lot of these batters are still trying to find their timing because they're in the middle of spring training. But here's the the point that he makes is this. He says he thinks it'd be more exciting for the fans. He said you didn't wouldn't have to worry about pitchers with the with the pitch counts because right now in each round of the tournament there's a pitch count limit to how far a guy can go into a game. And he said it's not just that. He said look um at this point of the season, I'm not ready to go into what he called a quasi-playoff game. And uh, Cuba has just beaten Australia 4-3, a strikeout to end the game. So Cuba beats Australia, and uh, they will advance to the semifinals in Miami. Um, but he said, I'm not willing to step into a playoff game right, right now. He said, physically, he said, if I do that, I'm rolling the dice with my arm. It's hard enough to try to make 33 starts and throw 200 innings as it is with a normal spring training. If I go out there and try to do too much in the spring, it can really affect me throughout the season, which which is why there's a lot of teams that don't want their guys to go to the WBC, but how do you tell them no? Especially these Latin guys where it is such a big thing for them. But a perfect example is Detroit has said that Eduardo Rodriguez is done. Even though he is participating in the World Baseball Classic, right? He's already gone down there. He's pitched pretty well. But the Detroit Tigers yesterday informed his team, Venezuela, that they want him to come home. (laughs) 
So Venezuela, who is 3-0 in the tournament, now he wasn't scheduled to pitch again um, until the semifinals or the final, but Detroit wants him home. So if you and, – and, and Venezuela is actually going to uh, uh, try to convince them to, uh, to let him come back. So, uh, you know, but you can't, you can't blame the Tigers. Look, the Tigers have enough trouble as it is competing in Major League Baseball. Eduardo Rodriguez is a big part of that team, and they cannot afford for him to get hurt. Perfect example. Yesterday, and, you know, I don't think it's serious, but yesterday in Canada's game against Columbia, Freddie Freeman, first baseman for the Los Angeles Dodgers, left the game in the fourth inning because he tweaked his hamstring. And I am sure that everybody in the Dodger front office and everybody that is a Dodger fan went, oh, my God, you know, and just about threw up. And and they called it that he just felt it, you know, uh, they, they're calling it a tweak, and he – uh, he ran gingerly out of the uh, the batter's box after popping the ball up in the fourth inning. But that's the risk that you take any time you send these guys down to play in these games. You know, uh, and, and look, um, I, I think, and, and I like Max Scherzer's idea. However, I got to imagine if they tried to move the WBC to, to in the middle of the season, I don't think the team managers and the the front office would be any happier. You know what I mean? I I think that it might it might piss them off even more than having their guys leave in spring training. I mean, look at what look at what happened. Look at what has happened. He says gingerly, um, in the NHL, where we had a we had a a, a Winter Olympics last time with no NHL players because Gary Bettman, the commissioner of the NHL, refused to shut down the league for a couple of weeks, which is what had been done in the past to allow NHL players to play. You know, and uh, I love international competition. I do, but I get it. You know, these guys aren't getting paid by these international teams. The NHL teams and the Major League Baseball teams are shelling out big bucks for these players, and so – you can't blame them if they want their players treated with kid gloves. I would be the same way. Absolutely. Um, speaking of international competition, um, Trevor Bauer has signed a one-year contract to play in the Japanese League. He's going to play for Yokohama. He's getting paid $4 million bucks with some incentives, but that, by the way, that's on top of the $22.5 million that he is being paid by the Los Angeles Dodgers this year uh, after his suspension was lifted and the Dodgers decided to release him. And after, you know, his legal issues were settled, after Major League Baseball lifted the suspension from uh, the restricted list, Nobody wanted anything to do with Trevor Bauer. You know, look, uh, 
he got suspended last April. We've been through this many times, the whole domestic violence, sexual assault policy, uh, after a woman from San Diego said that he beat and sexually abused her in 2021. Trevor Bauer has said from the beginning he did nothing wrong and that everything that happened was consensual. He never got charged with a crime. And this is where, you know, this is where it's difficult. When you listen to the facts or read the facts that came out from this woman, you go, oh, my God. You know, but at the same time, the police investigated it, never charged him with a crime. And so, and he has said, see, I didn't do anything wrong. And in this country where you are innocent until proven guilty, he has been convicted, sentenced to life without Major League Baseball by all the owners in the, in the league, by fans. Because in this day and age, with social media being the way it is, can you imagine the shitstorm that we would have if he played for a team in Major League Baseball. Can you imagine if I, you know, I, I don't know, uh, the Oakland Athletics, because he wants to play in Major League Baseball and he'll take less money, and the Oakland Athletics say, okay, we'll give you a few million bucks to come pitch for us. Can you imagine the furor, the protests outside the stadium if that ever happened? And that's why I don't think he'll pitch in Major League Baseball again. Now, if he goes over to Japan and, you know, wins uh, most valuable player in the league and, you know, leads Yokohama to the league title. And Yokohama, by the way, has not won uh, the Japanese title in 25 years. If he's that the difference maker and he pitches so well over there that they win a title, you know, does he get another chance here? What's interesting is, while he's over there, people in Japan don't seem to really care, or they don't really know, which is, you know, like uh, one fan said, well, I know he's had some difficult issues, domestic problems, he called them. But then he says that this, this fan that they talked to said, but he was found not guilty in court, so I'm not sure if he was in the wrong. No, no, he never went to court. That's part of the problem. He never went to court. But if you weren't charged with a crime, how are you guilty? Right? Everything you read says this guy is a scumbag. You know? And 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 he'll and, and his defense is it was kinky sex and it's what she wanted. <laughs> so uh but so he is going to pitch in Japan this year. Uh there's no doubt this guy's talented. Now he's had basically uh you know a year and a half off. So how does he uh, respond? I don't know. Look, we've seen time and time again that there are people that have come back into Major League Baseball after being suspended under the domestic violence policy. But there are some that have not. R Roberto Osuna, I remember was the Houston Astros signed him after he was suspended. And, oh, my God, did they catch hell. Well, Houston then cut ties with him, and he has not been able to sign with another team. Uh, he signed last season in Japan as well. 
he played with Chiba last year, and this year he's going to play with uh, the uh, for Fukuoka. So look, this is a guy that had the same problem with Trevor Bauer, except Trevor Bowers was much more lurid. So that may be where Trevor finishes his career. And we can argue all day whether it's right or wrong, but the court of public opinion has found him guilty. And how many times do have we seen things in the United States now where companies are making decisions based on social media impressions? It happens far too often. You know, it far too often. I mean, that's why, you know... We have so many things, and, and I'm not going to get into the whole, and, and I'm not going to get into the whole uh, quote-unquote woke culture that we have now, because I think it's, it's, it's a stupid phrase, first of all, and some of the stuff that people are protesting about is legitimate. Some of it is not. For instance, to me, the whole whitewashing of our history and taking down Confederate statues in the South where... Look, it happened. This is part of our history. How can we just, you know, making these statues go away doesn't change what has happened in our country's history. But people seem to think that it does. You know, so, you know, but I I hate the whole, the whole people that are talk about being woke. But at the end of the day, you know, there are a lot of things that happen in this country that are steered by social media, which is stupid. You know, and you want to stand up to people and say, you know, mind your own business. You know, it's kind of like people that go on social media and fat shame people or tell, uh, tell, tell people that, oh, you're a lousy parent because you do this or you do that. Of course, these are the same people that are probably cheating on their spouses. But it's okay because what you're doing is worse than what I'm doing. So don't look at me. Look at you. And that's what that's what this whole thing has become. You know, uh, and and you know you could, but you can also make the case with a guy like Trevor Bauer. Hey, dude. You know, in a position that you're in, you need to be careful with what you do. You need to be careful how you conduct yourself. You know, it's the same thing I did when, you know, I was working in universities and you talked to student athletes. And that was part of my job was to talk to student athletes about making smart choices. And, and you know, not doing stupid things and putting yourself and the university in a bad light or how to talk to the press or, you know, just how to be smart. Being a professional athlete doesn't make you smart. It just makes you rich more often than not. 46 minutes past the hour. We're going to take another break. We're going to talk Red Sox when we come back. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 48 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call on a Wednesday morning. The Red Sox lost yesterday in spring training uh, 6-2. to They fall to the Tigers. Uh, they have now lost five of their last six games in spring training. Uh, it doesn't really matter uh, the result. The important thing yesterday uh, was that Nick Pavetta finally looked like a guy that might be effective for the Red Sox at times. Now, we have to take into account that it was the Tigers and it was you know not necessarily their opening day lineup. But uh, it was his third start of the spring, and it's the first one where he's looked good. Uh, 
He allowed four hits, one earned run, uh, struck out five with just one walk over four innings. Um, you know, look, uh, they need him to pitch well. With with uh, Brian Bayo not going to be ready for opening day, <coughs> with uh, Garrett Whitlock not going to be ready for opening day, uh, James Paxton, uh, we don't know when he's going to be ready. Pavetta, just, you know, becomes your de facto number three starter behind Chris Sale and Corey Kluber. So they need him to pitch well, and yesterday he did. Uh, matter of fact, he went through the first three innings without giving up anything. Uh, he gave up a, a leadoff single in the fourth to Zach Short, who formerly played at Sacred Heart University, by the way. Um, but Short was thrown out, actually, uh, at second. We tried to extend his single into a double. But uh, uh, other than that, Pavetta looked pretty good. Threw 54 pitches, 36 for strikes, hit 97 miles an hour. Uh, so and, and he got a lot of swings and misses. So that was great. Uh, the other thing that was great from yesterday, Trishan Cassis, the guy who is uh, the young kid is going to be their first baseman this year. Uh, two for three with a double and a walk. He's 23 years old. Four plate appearances. He saw 27 pitches. His on-base percentage this spring is 441. Now, I know this kid has a ton of power. Okay? This kid has a great eye. I love the fact that he's 23 years old and he is not going to swing at something that is not a strike. You know, there's been a lot of talk about what the Red Sox are going to do about a leadoff hitter this year. Um, and it looks like they might have found one. He's not your t- prototypical leadoff hitter, a guy with that kind of pop. But, man, I would love to see Tristan Casas start the season as the leadoff hitter for the Red Sox. Uh, there was some talk that uh, uh, Yoshida, the left fielder from Japan, who the Red Sox signed, they wanted to put him in the leadoff spot. He doesn't want to hit leadoff. He's made it, pl- he's made it clear that's not where he's comfortable. Uh, so it looks like the Red Sox, you know, and there was some talk about Kike Hernandez. They've tried that before. Kike is not a great leadoff hitter as well. But with a 441 on base percentage, and even though last year in the cup of coffee that he had with the Red Sox, Cass's batting average is right around 200, but his on base percentage was much higher because he walks a ton. So I think it would be a great move. I, I hope they do that. Um, Red Sox play today against Tampa. Corey Kluber is going to get the start for the Red Sox. He is scheduled to pitch five innings today. It looks like Corey Kluber is on pace to be the Red Sox opening day starter. So he would start today, and then he would probably get one more start, and then he would be the opening day starter for the Boston Red Sox. Uh, Garrett Whitlock is going to make his spring, spring training debut today. He is supposed to follow Kluber and they're going to try to get two innings out of the bullpen from Garrett Whitlock today. So that's huge as well. So uh, have to keep an eye on that. The game is on Nesson, and uh, uh, I've got to work on the chicken coop, so I don't know how much of it I'll be able to see, but I am going to uh, to try to watch some of that game today. I'm at least going to tape it so I can, I can watch it later. Um, and the Red Sox have a couple of very interesting contract uh, or roster decisions coming up, and I'm not sure what they're going to do. Uh, Rob Refsnyder got a hit yesterday, his first hit of spring training. He was 0 for 21. And Rob Refsnyder right now is in line to be their fourth outfielder. Um, And Alex Cora said yesterday that Refsnyder's roster spot is secure. 
that they're going to find a way to get him in the lineup because look, he crush he you know he can crush lefties. He hit three fifty nine against lefties last year, you know, and he's a decent outfielder. However, the Red Sox also have Rymel Tapia, who is hitting the absolute crap out of the ball in the spring, and he's got speed. And what a great uh, guy to have if Adam Duvall doesn't work out in center field. So I would be surprised if Tapia doesn't make the Red Sox team. So I don't know where that leaves Ruff Snyder because he's an outfielder. You know, the other guy that the Red Sox are going to have to figure out what to do with is Bobby Dalbeck. Bobby Dalbeck has hit the ball well this spring. He's hitting 300 this spring. They played him at shortstop yesterday, and he looked good. Started a double play. Uh, he's going to get the start again today at short. Um, and Because he's he's actually a very, very good defender. He's actually a better third baseman, in my opinion, than Rafi Devers is. He's not a better hitter, but he's a better fielder. Uh, but they've also got Yu Chang, who's coming back from the World Baseball Classic, uh, who they signed. Chang was just named the MVP of his pool uh, even though Chinese type, uh, Taipei didn't advance, he was named the MVP of that pool because he hit over 400 in those games. Uh, you would think he has the inside track, but, boy, I'll tell you what, the power that Dahlbeck has and the fact that he can play all the positions around the infield, um, that's going to be a tough decision. So the Red Sox have, have got some tough ones coming up, and uh, I'm not sure what they're going to do. And it, it looks like Jaron Duran is definitely going to be an odd man out um, and he's probably going to start the season in AAA if the Red Sox don't try to move him. Uh, quick NFL note, uh, Jacoby Myers is leaving the Patriots, heading to the Las Vegas Raiders, signed a three-year free agent deal, or is going to sign one because the free agency hasn't actually started yet. Uh, three-year deal for $33 million bucks, $21 million of it guaranteed. Uh, he will join former teammate, Jimmy Garoppolo. Actually, he was not a teammate of Garoppolo's, I don't think. Jimmy left before he was there. But Jimmy Garoppolo, former backup for the uh, uh, Patriots, former starter for the San Francisco 49ers, who recently signed a deal with the Raiders. So he will go over there with Garoppolo. Um, and, of course, Josh McDaniels, the head coach, his former offensive coordinator. So uh, he is headed to the West, to Vegas. We're going to have Dan Zampano on here on Friday to talk about all the news. I mean, we got a, there's so much news coming out of the NFL right now with free agency and trades and everything else uh, that we will get Dan on on Friday so we can break some of this down ahead of the official free agency period starting and uh, the NFL draft, which is coming up next month. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Here's an oldie but a goodie. Here's the one from Hot Tuna on the way out. It's called Watch the North Wind Rise. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.